hearts need love too. This is Dan Mangan, and you are listening to CITR 101.9 in Vancouver and surrounding university areas. They want to be loved by robots need love too. Um, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the real world on CITR 101.9 FM. Um, I'm joined by, my name is Liam, I'm joined by my brother Will, mm-hmm. and Hello, we are everyone. here with um, Tesh Gudikanda. He is a writer, director, um, we met him uh, about a year ago, or maybe eight months ago, um, on a film festival, in a uh, 48-hour film festival, the Vancouver Run and Gun Film Fest, um, which we've talked about on the show, um, but yeah, without further ado, Tesh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Um, so yeah, we met Tesh. Uh, we met you obviously at um the run and gun fest like i mentioned mm-hmm. um for will and i that was our first like real um festival experience in vancouver yeah it was our first time like getting to meet and talk to people and, and kind of connect with the vancouver film community um so that was really great and and tesh was tesh was one of the first people to reach out to us after our film played and uh yeah he, he, he was just like very kind to us and and uh gave us some great feedback on our film um so yeah and then obviously his film was was really stellar it made, it made the final day and, and it um uh screened at the rio um his film was called just another ghost story um and yeah so yeah so tash when we when we last chatted you kind of talked about how that was a like very different experience for you like kind of um creatively um how did that how, how was it comp- like not competing but participating in the, in the 48-hour film uh, challenge um, for you and where it was in your career? Um, I, I loved it and I probably 100% do it again. Uh, th- this one was a lot about, it, it was coming off of slightly bigger projects. I just did a Crazy Eights earlier that year and that was like months of prep leading up to like eight days of shooting. And it, it was kind of nice to just not have all of that prep time and just do 48 hours of everything we need. Uh, but a lot of the motivation, I think, philosophically and spiritually at the time, I was just like, oh, I just want to be in the moment. I just want to let things come to me. And so just getting the prompts and piecing a story together and just working with amazing collaborators um, and kind of just seeing what we'd get by the end of it was such a rewarding process. And honestly, like uh, even after we were done, just just getting the kind of character that we did, like that, that, that Mayumi Yoshida, who plays uh, the lead character, brought to the table. I, I, I was like, I want to turn this into a series. Like, I want to work. I want to do more with this character in just four minutes because uh, we had a four-minute runtime restriction. So that was kind mm-hmm. of um, that. That was something. But uh, it was really nice to work within the limits and find that creativity within it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, obviously, just another ghost story is is. Um... By the way, for, can, can can people watch Just Another Ghost Story right now? Is it available anywhere? Um, if they DM me, I can send them a link. I should, okay, should okay. Put it out there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it's fun to watch. Um, so yeah. it's a it's like a genre film, kind of a detec- detective kind of thing. Um, was that like what was your approach going into the festival? Was that was it like genre kind of the way you wanted to approach it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think genre is usually how I approach anything in general, um, but. Yeah, it's kind of like mixing however I'm feeling with like a genre that I'm feeling. But for that one, it was kind of like, oh, who are, who are all the people I can get together and what are some locations I can get together it was like a big point. So the story was really inspired by the location that we got because it had this like nice little ethereal greenness to it. And uh, it just kind of made sense that maybe there would be some sort of like a ghost story type of thing happening there. So that kind of that, that was the immediate thing that came to my mind when I went to the location, which uh, which belongs to our producer, Dominic Dobrzynski's, uh, Dobrzynski's parents. Um, and yeah, it was just beautiful to have. And that, that was one of those things where like things just fell into place with all of the things we realized, like, like the picture vehicle belonged to our first AD and he just brought that onto set. Um, on the day of, we didn't plan for it to use it. I was like, what's going to be your picture recall? It could be my car. But then it turned out there was this amazing looking man that just played. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of part of the, like, the 40 hour film fest experience, I guess, is kind of things falling into place and, and being able to move move quickly and, and, and react to things as they come to you. And, and like you guys have multiple fridges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. I was going to say, like, the, I feel like the taking the location is, is a good way to 
motivate what you're doing um, to give your story with a character. Obviously, we did a thing with a bunch of fridges because we had a lot of fridges. So um, do you like do you have like an idea, like not an idea, but do you have how are you going to approach this year? Because I think Joel mentioned he was going to the fest was going to be in like April or something or earlier earlier this year. Do you have like an idea of how you're going to approach that? Or are you just going to let it try and organically happen like last year? Yeah, I'm just going to let it organically happen. I think that's kind of the fun of it. And I don't want to take that away, especially like, um, I, th I think as like more, um, especially with like the amount of stuff that I've done now, it, it, it'd be, it'd be not fair. I think in some ways, if I didn't just um, challenge myself in the best way to just test myself. And it's also like a, a great way to kind of just discover these stories that are within you that you never would, you know, uh, the, the preemptive plannings for all of the other projects coming up. Right. Uh, but I think I think that the, the bottom line of it is, is probably just pick a bunch of collaborators who have never worked with before. That's definitely been like a key thing to this is if you don't try that for a 48 hour, when will you try it? And then maybe have like a three or four locations in mind going into it so that at least we have like one thing that we can um, gun towards. But I think even this year, I don't, I don't know if I can do it if it happens in April or May, but if it does, I think I would still just love to absolutely wing it even without having a location in mind, but we'll yeah. see. Yeah. yeah, well, we're excited to, hopefully you get an opportunity to do it and we're excited to see what you do. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier that previously to uh, Just Another Ghost Story, you were working on uh, Crazy Eight's project. Um, yeah. uh, Mom vs. Machine. Mom vs. Machine. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your Crazy Eight's experience? Because um, I think Liam and I have, have talked a little bit about Crazy Eight's uh, on the show before, and uh, it's, it's a, it's a well-known, um, I guess, festival that runs in Vancouver every single year. So just wanted to ask like, how, how your Crazy Eight's experience was like. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's it's obviously one of the, the most um, well-known competitions, especially in Vancouver, and uh, definitely challenging in terms of uh, because it's it's kind of one of those things where you get all these resources and all this industry support, and now it's once once you get like professionals on your set who are willing to volunteer their time, and just amazing people uh the pressure is kind of on you to come up with a really good product and uh tell your story with, without um all the other restrictions and yeah the, the challenges and everything about it was so rewarding um even in retrospect after having done it it's, it's um it's really allowed me to grow as a filmmaker which i really like the best thing i can say about crazy eights after doing it um and i think like now they have like the top six ready to make their films this year as well um it it, it it so much doesn't make you a filmmaker as much as it kind of reveals the kind of filmmaker you are because when you kind of get lined up with all these mentors and um resources you get to really hone in on how to tell your story the way you want to and um that that is one of the best things you could see because i come from like before doing that a lot of the stuff that i've directed was very uh get my friends together, pick up my own camera, shoot my own thing. So to work with like a DP, to work with like an amazing DP and then have like a PB dolly on set when before that I just like, you know, work with a skateboard or whatever else that I could get my hands on uh, for my own projects. It, it's definitely elevated um, the way I see stories and how worthwhile it is to pitch to have that, uh, the better resources and funding and stuff like that too. Um, and, and the, the competition itself, like going through the ranks of the pitching process and everything really kind of um, allowed me to look at the story in a very different way than I previously had before. I kind of just settled for like a first or second draft and just shot that. But over time doing this, like uh, when you get into the top 12, you get assigned a story editor and they pick the top six scripts. So that, that kind of allowed us to do multiple drafts and revisions and, um, having that kind of mentorship towards even a screenplay is it's it's very informative to I think young filmmakers yeah yeah so um you mentioned before crazy eights you were kind of just doing like like a more informal stuff with your friends um at what point did you decide like crazy eights was a thing that you wanted to pursue and like how did you approach you're like okay I'm going to do crazy eights and now you know did you have an idea for that beforehand or did you say I'm going to come up with an idea and write it and then just go through like how was the pitching process for you? Like, how did it, 
actually like how did you approach writing the film for the pitch and did you all that stuff right i think it was one of those things where ours was right at the um uh right after the pandemic you know the lockdown and everything just kind of took over our lives and um it, it, it kind of came in hand with having months to kind of reflect as to what I wanted to do. Because before Crazy Eights, I did a lot of like videography and I worked on sets. I worked as an AD, I produced and stuff. So I, I always felt like, oh, I need all these resources. And when I didn't have resources, I would just kind of film with friends. But uh, during the pandemic, it gave me the time to just like step away from the rat race and just think about what kind of stories I wanted to tell, which was really important because once I started looking at my stories from not a budgetary standpoint, but more so like, um, I want to explore these worlds, I want to explore these characters, it really kind of opened up um, my imagination to just dream up a little bigger, I think, and then right as I was in the cusp of that, it was September, things were kind of like easing a little bit, and then um, Crazy Eights announced that year, and I, I kind of had the story floating in my head, um, and then I just put it all together and pitched them the craziest version of it I, that I could. I, I just pitched them all these like big stuff that I never would like have any ways of knowing how I'd execute or bring to life or um, thought about, but, but I thought it'd be kind of fun. So with, with that process, it just became more so like um, going pitch by pitch. So there was the video pitch, so we just pitched that. And then for the in-person pitch, uh, we just had to talk about why the story was so personal. And by the time it came down to the script, I'm like, oh my God, I just mixed in all these ingredients that I want to watch in a movie, but now I have no idea how I'm going to turn this into a story that's going to be like really good at 10 pages. Um, and yeah, that, that became a nice little journey throughout. Yeah, I mean, uh, Liam and I uh, worked on a, a Crazy Eights pitch uh, earlier this year, and it was it was kind of like a, a similar um, experience for us where we, uh, we kind of let off the reins and we just wrote something that, um, maybe we know we, we might not be able to, to do with the means that, that we, uh, currently have access to, but we, we just wanted to like, let the creativity, uh, let the creativity flow and just like write what was in our, in our minds. So that's like a really freeing process, uh, as like indie filmmakers who are, are limited constraint, limited by constraints of budget and, and crew and, and access to resources. So yeah, that's a, that's a really uh, amazing part of the, the Crazy Eights uh, opportunity really for filmmakers here in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And honestly, now that you did it, and now that I've done it, I can't imagine going back to like any other way of writing something. It's, it's so much fun to like, just let your imagination run wild and then hone in what's real. But I also, the, the other thing I learned is like in making of this process, because my my back was against the wall essentially in terms of like, oh shit, I promised all these things and now I have to make it. Um, it, it became a thing where I had to get really creative and um, we, we found such clever ways to like make those things that seem so impossible on the page happen. Um, and just like figuring out clever ways to ask new people that we would have never asked for help and stuff like that too. And I, I think there's, there's something to be said about that kind of resourcefulness, no matter how insane or crazy an idea might seem, maybe it's not as far off from you being able to execute it. So yeah, like, I think it's always good to kind of dream big when it comes down to telling stories, because that's kind of the point, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, how much did how much did the script change? I guess after you got kind of made it to the round with the story editor, and even throughout the process, did it change a lot? Yeah, it did quite a bit. I think I must have had like twelve or thirteen drafts. Um, even when we got into the top six, I did a few more revisions on it. Some of them came from location constraints and some of the logistical stuff. But over time, it was just kind of figuring out what the priorities were and making sure that uh, we weren't overstretching. And uh, even now, if I had a chance, I would change the story. If I, if I could have another do-over at the script, I would change so many things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what were like, uh, I, it's kind of interesting to think with this, like what were your influences going for, for Monverse Machine, like in terms of, you know, films that you were drawing on and kind of stories that you were drawing on? Um, Anime is usually always like a huge influence for me. Um, like a lot of that in A24 films to a lot of Jordan Peele, um, especially Jordan Peele in the context of taking something culturally uh, 
um, culturally something that we kind of deal with and turning that into a genre film through a lens of what becomes accessible, then it, it becomes a nice way to navigate like um, relationships and stories that other people might not understand. But, but anime too, mostly like uh, Ghost in the Shell and Akira were like big influences for sure um, in terms of the worlds. But beyond that too, there's just like, like sprinkles of everything because I, I just watch so much stuff and listen to a lot of music. Like I, I can't help but just sponge that all in. So sometimes it's really hard for me to tell. One of my friends, like uh, I have a really great friend who, who, who loves watching movies. He watches all kinds of movies. He, like he's probably one of the people that have seen watching those movies. And sometimes I like send him stuff I make and asking, okay, so what are the influences that he, you see here? <laughs> give me like a list of filmmakers. And sometimes I'm like, I haven't even seen half these people, but okay, I see yeah. the similarities and stuff. So it's hard to even remind myself where it comes from. Um, but I, I just love genres. Usually it's more so, um, Thinking about the genre helps a lot yeah. where it goes, yeah. And then I, I knew that I just wanted to create something like colorful and fun. And then, um, and one of the coolest processes of working with this is my uh, the DP on this, uh, Gerald Lim. He, he has a very um, organic approach to creating something. It's not very like influence or like references based or anything like that, but we kind of talk story, talk shots, talk about, um, how everything's going to make us feel. It was like a couple therapy sessions of shot listing that them to go over like, why this, why that? What's the point of like um, having this kind of a thing? And that gave us a chance to even just think about having certain aesthetics and colors and stuff that um, we just love coming up with ourselves too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was watching it, I, my, we, we've mentioned this on the show many times, but my favorite film was the, or one of my favorite films is The Fly. And I was getting a lot of like the especially the machine part i was just imagining that kind of like the the teleportation pods in the fly i'm not really sure why but i just like the kind of it's kind of like a almost like a steampunk aesthetic but with this like the machine specifically or just reminded me so much of the fly and i love that but yeah i just i i think the genre stuff is really important and i think it's also like like you mentioned your friend kind of kind of like point out uh influences that you might not even recognize i think like you said like like you kind of sponge all this stuff that you sometimes you're most of the time not even aware of things that are influencing you yeah and so yeah like obviously genre is a very important part of your filmmaking or you could watch something new like a marvel movie or something and those have like 10 different influences from all these other movies that came before it like even star wars you know like a lot of people watch star wars before um they watch kurosawa or something and they, they don't mm -hmm. even know how much like the hidden fortress or something like influenced that like i haven't seen the hidden fortress but like you know oh, it's uh, very it's it's excellent actually yeah. it's really i i love it it's actually very star wars if you want to like yeah. kind of not ruin star wars but if you want to like take the like you know lift the curtains on star wars you can watch the hidden fortress for sure but um yeah um, I think what we'll do is we'll go to a break here. Quick music break. So what we're going to do, um, we mentioned this on a show previously, but today we are giving away um, two tickets to any film at the Rio, except for, I think the exclusions are live events. Um, so any regular film at the Rio, obviously the Rio is a big part of the Vancouver film culture. Um, Will and I go there all the time. I'm sure Tesh does as well. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, so what we're going to do is when we come back from break, we're going to be asking, uh, or we're asking a question now. Is no, we'll, we'll ask a question after the break. A yeah. quick tr trivia question. Um, give you some time to think about Avatar. That's that's your uh, your clear. James Cameron's Avatar. That is the film we're asking. Avatar, the last airbender. <laughs> oh, no. No. Um, okay, so we're heading to music, right?
interested in making radio, how about hosting your own show? At CITR, you can make your radio dreams come true by joining a collective. From news, art, sports, to gender empowerment, accessibility, music, and the BIPOC Collective, there's definitely something for everyone. Explore new worlds both virtually and at our station, and be prepared to have a blast with some new pals. For more information or to join, please visit citr.ca slash get involved. Hey, are you interested in radio? Passionate about gender issues? Want to be an active part of your community? Then join the wave and become part of CITR's Gender Empowerment Collective. Our show intersections is every four weeks and we want your voice. We are all about empowering everyone and giving you the chance to speak your mind. There's no experience necessary. Find us on Instagram, Twitter or email us at genderempowerment at citr.ca. Okay, hello everyone. Welcome back to The Real World on CITR 101.9 FM. Uh, my name is Liam. And I'm Will. And today we're joined by um, Tesh Gudakanda, a uh, writer, director, filmmaker here in Vancouver. Um, before we get back to our discussion, though, we first have a trivia question. To All ask. right. So uh, to answer this qu- trivia question, you just need to head to the UBC Film Society's Instagram and hit the link tree. And there will be like a Google form that you can fill out uh, with the answer to the question. So the question is, uh, which actor stars as jake sully in james cameron's uh box office hit avatar so let that sink in uh first person to to answer the question uh in the google form correctly will be contacted and will uh receive two tickets to the real theater and here's a hint this actor was living out of his car their car i didn't say that their car um while they're auditioning for the film which is pretty interesting yeah um, Which was okay. a fun Chris Pratt origin story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get back to our discussion with Tesh. Um, I guess we'll move on from the Crazy H thing. Um, that's very, it was very uh, illuminating to, to hear about that. But I think what we want to ask you now is about your upcoming project. It seems like you've got a lot going on. Um, and you were just in, was it Thailand shooting a film? Yeah, I was. Yeah, so can you talk about that? Is that like, can that be discussed or is that currently under wraps? Um, it's still, we're still kind of like um, working on it, doing the post on it. But yeah, it was a, it was a thriller that uh, me and a small team of amazing people went out and we filmed this thing. We were there for, I was there for three months, uh, one month of scout and two months of shooting. But it was kind of like really interesting to shoot that over the course of the pandemic and just um, dealing with other country, but beyond that, I'm not sure how much more in detail I can go. But if you have any like cursory questions around it, then you can feel free. To yeah, we we kind of wanted to talk about. Um, so for for this upcoming project, uh, you you just uh, wrote uh, the project and you also produced it. So you mm-hmm. had someone uh, directing something that you wrote, and and we had um, a screenwriter on in a previous episode, and we kind of talked about how uh, like that dynamic of of writing something, and then seeing someone take your 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 uh, your project, and then uh, kind of make it their own direct it and we wanted to ask you how that how that process uh went and and how how you feel about just writing something and then handing it off to someone else to to kind of uh take the reins i guess if you will yeah i think that's that's a that's a great question and i think it's it's something for which the answer changes all the time based on how during, during the different phases of uh, production and um it, it, it's definitely kind of um I personally love doing it because it's been a fun way for me to integrate myself into the community of filmmaking through something that I can offer as a skill set, which which is another thing with like producing or anything else. It's it's a it's a great way to kind of come up with something and see how someone else will execute it, uh, because it is so far away from how I think about it when I'm doing it that it teaches me so much about directing in some ways. Because a lot of times when I'm writing those scenes or uh, a lot of the scripts, there's definitely ways that I can envision some of the details. But uh, with any project that I co-write, especially with having a director attached, um, something that's very important for me is making sure that my commitment is to their overall vision. And I kind of have like a pretty good understanding as to how their... uh, 
the end film will be executed to a certain degree because they kind of everyone has their own style and a voice and whatnot. So um, it's 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 also just kind of being excited about that person's voice and who their uh, the director is. Like right now, I'm also co-writing another feature. Um, it's it's part of the telefilm talent to watch. It's called the Chinatown Diner with Lawrence Lalamp. Um, and even that is just so much fun to just kind of like think and be part of worlds that I would never get to imagine. And I feel like doing this kind of projects and taking them on allows me to just become better as a writer overall because you, you just don't get so immersed into um, a project as much as you do when you're writing. And then whenever I bring back these things I learned to my own stories, I'm, I just realized like I'm just having way more tools in the toolkit than previously. So I, I it, it's definitely what I mean by my answer changes is like sometimes it's kind of like, okay, how much do I take other projects on to procrastinate on my own <laughs> becomes the question. So right. it's kind of like a balanced thing too at times to um, do that. And the other great thing about co-writing, especially with writing, is like, um, you know, sometimes it's so easy to be distracted when you're on your own. But with co-writing, you have so much accountability because you're kind of responsible for someone more than yourself. So in terms of showing up on time and uh, being able to just uh, be kinder and uh, put, put in, putting in like, I don't procrastinate as much. That's the short answer of it. So, and I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you like write, for example, the film that you just shot in Thailand, um, do you like write it as a, like, do you look at yourself as a writer or do you, when you write these films, do you, do you like segment, I'm going to write this and then I'm going to write, direct this or like, how do you approach that? Is it like, I'm going to write, I'm going to write and direct everything I want to do. Like, how do you, do you like, do you do any segmentation or do you just kind of write and see how it goes? Um, there's definitely a different style to um, films that I want to direct when I'm writing, um, especially during the writing process than uh, co-writing. Uh, with, with both aspects, I can't help but bring my traits and whatnot to it. But uh, when I am writing something that I do intend on directing, I'm simultaneously making music playlists and coming up with like uh, shots and creating like things out of shot deck, like a little uh, mood boards and stuff because I'm I also allow myself to just like sink in and just kind of imagine the rest of the world coming in um I do find it's kind of intrusive to sometimes do that same thing when I'm writing because it kind of feels weird to create a music playlist if I'm never gonna uh bring a particular aspect of it so when, when it comes down to that what I actually ask is like um with, with uh our Italian film as an example uh I, I got like a music playlist from the director of that film to like kind of listen to over. The, so the, that that's kind of the difference is like one thing I'm kind of creating my own uh, world building. And the other thing I'm, I'm more so using them as a compass to guide what the rest of it needs to be. Um, so, and I, I do think like these kinds of um, relationships work best when there's at least like um, some sort of mutual understanding as to like who kind of has the final say when it comes down to certain creative dishes, decisions and stuff like that. Um, so that, that's another thing where communication is so huge and important to see who gets what out of it. And if I know someone's directing, then at least we have like a tone to work towards. Yeah. Right. Um, and so with the stuff that, um, like, do you have anything currently that you're working on that you like you want to direct or are you just kind of focusing on your writing right now? Um, I'm focusing on development right now, but those are for projects that I do want to direct um, down the road. And I think like, uh, again, going back to what last year was, was it was, it was I, I did Crazy Eights, I did Run and Gun and MAM. And then after doing all those two projects that I directed, it, it just became very clear to me what my final passion in film is. And um, I love everything else too, because I think I consider myself like a proper filmmaker overall at the end of the day. And um, the collaborations that come from producing or writing are always amazing because you can't make movies on your own. And so it's kind of, uh, I think for, especially after doing the time, I think the clarity for me is that I think moving forward, there's definitely going to be like cycles of taking projects on and off um, because I don't think I can direct continuously all year long either. 
um, it's, you know, sometimes you just don't want to be in your own head. So it's, uh, it's definitely like cycling them on and off. Yeah, I definitely have projects that I'm developing right now to direct, but also equally to um, write and produce. Right, right. And have you, you haven't directed a feature film yet, have you? No, not yet. No. So is that like the, the kind of the goal to, to one day direct a feature film? I'm not sure yet, to be honest, uh, just producing feature films and um, being in that world and with the landscape, with everything shifting as is uh, a big part of uh, some of the stuff that I'm developing right now are more so TV based um, because I love TV as well. And I think there's like a potential to explore storytelling and characters there that is um, quite different to feature films. But um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just taking it easy in that regard as to just letting the stories guide me again, just trying to dream big with whatever the story needs and having a bunch of scripts. And I, I'm just going to see where the funding is and go accordingly. But I would either or like I'd love to direct a feature or episodic TV uh, or showrun one day, but it's all kind of like working towards whatever. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting with indie features in terms of budgets that are available is like a completely different conversation between that and TV. So it kind of swayed my mind a bit. But when I first started, it was always like features are like the pinnacle, but uh, that mindset has really shifted for me in the last year with like um, just falling in love with some amazing television out there. Right. Do you, um, do you have like a, a dream project somewhere in the vault um, that if all of a sudden uh, someone came to you with unlimited money and they said you can make whatever you wanted, do you have something in your mind? Uh, oh, or, yeah. Yeah, I have, I have quite a few, especially genre leaning ones, because I'm a huge fan of um, cyberpunk worlds and uh, films like The Matrix and Blade Runner and stuff like that. And to being able to, uh, tap into something that's kind of like neo-futuristic to explore um, the kind of division that we're seeing in society right now would be an absolute dream because I, I love broken characters trying to navigate like highly um, digitized world in many ways you know like cy cyborgs and all uh, that stuff that's like you know there's just so much fun to it um but beyond that too like i'm a huge fantasy buff and um even speaking of avatar like there's definitely like words like that that's you know again it goes back to the whole idea of dreaming is i will always dream big so i definitely have a few up my sleeve with some dragons and whatnot involved so yeah nice it sounds fun yeah yeah um i guess uh you talked a bit about like before you kind of your your first what you wanted to do was direct features um like where where how did you develop like your passion for film and like how old were you and and what kind of what were you into at that point and how did that kind of develop into who you are now um i didn't realize i wanted to make movies till i was 24 um for context i'm 31 now but uh it took me quite a bit to kind of even think that i was creative in some ways <laughs> Um, I was always a, a film lover, though. I always loved movies. I loved all kinds of stories. I like just consumed them endlessly growing up as a kid. But for the longest time, I was just kind of the audience. And now looking back, that's probably been my greatest strength and asset because I, I just always have a way to relate to um, the people that matter the most when it comes down to watching a film to me, which is the people on the other side. Um, it, it's just everyone else except for me <laughs> so it's just like you know um and then and when I was in university I discovered um my passion for creative writing and that eventually led to connecting the dots that I love movies I love writing I, it's just made sense to attempt filmmaking and by that time I was about 24 just graduating from university and uh, I was in Calgary Alberta at that time and I just networked with a bunch of local filmmakers making short films and then um, ended up on a film set for an indie feature, uh, ended up ADing to gain more experience and that, that became my trajectory and eventually I moved to Vancouver to uh, produce and now direct and write. Yeah. Right, right. I think that what you said about the, like the not thinking you're creative is pretty interesting. Um, like I have, I felt very similar and I actually the same, I kind of 
realized I was creative when I took a creative writing course as well at, here at UBC. Um, like, how did you like, um, so you kind of thought you weren't creative and then how did you develop like a voice when you didn't have that confidence? Like, how did that come? Um, it, it was just one of those things where it was just not, it was really great to have like a proper outlet to sit down and um, do a couple writing exercises. Uh, taking a creative writing class by chance meant that I had to just turn these assignments in and just being forced to uh, put something on the page for a deadline suddenly <laughs> unlocked something in me that I didn't know I had, which was just a profound grasp for stories because I've been consuming so much my whole life that um, I, I just kind of understood what a story needs. And um, it was just one word at a time, you know, it's like putting a character in a room and then giving that character a problem and then they're solving it, they're outside the room and then there's the rest of the world to build and then the world gives them problems and they're just trying to realize that they're kind of broken. You know, it's just automatically yeah. just kind of all fell in and I started realizing, holy shit, I have this all in me. And that, that goes back to saying that I think now in retrospect, um, I, I, would, I wouldn't treat anyone so harshly as to say there's no creativity <laughs> you know, especially feel kind of looking back, that's definitely not the case. I can see um, millions of signs of creativity since I was a kid, just putting the world together and asking questions and observing people and everything that you need to be a good writer. And I think everybody does it on a daily basis. I mean, you see kids running around making TikTok videos and that's just filmmaking in some ways. I know some people will, uh, sorry, Martin Scorsese, but like <laughs> whoever will think that's blasphemous to say, but it is kind of filmmaking as you're telling stories, you're piecing things together and you're putting things, um, you're making magic. And I think we kind of all have that in us. So it's, it's always part of human, it's just part of being human, right? So um, it, it just, Sometimes it just takes a long time to let go of those labels and realize that, oh, like anyone can do something, like tell a story because we all do it every single day. Um, right. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. For, for like, for us, it was a confidence thing um, where you kind of just start to do it and you realize you can do it. It takes, mm -hmm. uh, like, I think we went, uh, I went like three or four years though. We used to make like little videos in high school and then, um maybe two and a half three years yeah. and like I just I just for some reason I thought like I just don't I'm not a creative person I'm studying economics or something at at school and I'm you know this isn't for me and I think I totally agree like I, I feel like you give people an opportunity to kind of express themselves in ways they haven't done before and they realize they're more creative than they think and most people have a they've got things that interest them and things that they can express in their own way um yeah, I'm, it's pretty exciting, especially taking like a creative writing class at university. Yeah. A lot of people are doing there for the first time, realizing that it's very fun. And, and to um, answer the other part of that question, which is confidence, that's a whole nother thing. I think uh, yeah. that that is something that comes and goes every day. <laughs> Absolutely. Fun. It doesn't matter, I think, like how many things you've done. Um, I think with creativity, it's just better to not put that pressure on yourself to... Um, supersede or exceed or anything the the pure simplicity of it is just expression and I wish I could just like remind myself that every day and I try to just like take that pressure off about trying to make something good and just purely uh leaning on expressing but I think um even, even those early years the the expressing part and knowing I could express myself was what kind of like allowed me to set myself free and that's that I think is more important is just finding that joy and expression that um trying to prove anything with it right yeah and and surrounding yourself with people who like genuinely believe in you uh, yeah I mean, especially with filmmaking it's such like a collaborative process like having people who um have input and, and can provide pushback for you but at the same time like are, are believing you as a creator is, is like really helpful and in instilling confidence in you especially in moments when you're feeling the least confident um yeah so yeah, yeah. I think uh, we'll head to another a quick break, uh, listen to some music on the radio again. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll come back and, and, and wrap up uh, this, this interview. So. Yeah. So we'll go to music now.
Welcome back again to the real world uh, on CITR 101.9 FM. We are, my brother Will and I are joined by uh, Tesh Gudakanda. And um, yeah, we're just wrapping up our uh, discussion here. Um, Tesh, we're really grateful for you coming on and kind of sharing your experiences. Yeah, this is fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we hope to like kind of see some of your stuff uh, as it comes out. Obviously, you've got a lot in, in, in the works. Is there anything that people can like look for and see right now? <laughs> that's probably one of the things I'm the worst at right now. I'm learning to be better is just putting things out there. Yeah, but all these projects, they're just kind of going through like festival runs or uh, with even just another ghost story because I kind of want to double up it further into a potential long form series. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think, it's like, do I put anything out there? I don't have a YouTube channel or anything yeah. like that at the moment. Uh, I've done some music videos and whatnot, but you know what? This is, this is um, you know, eventually there will be things out there that people can see. So just right. tune in again a year from now and there's going to be so much content that you'll be sick of me. And awesome. in any case, they can follow you on Instagram to, to stay updated with that. So um, yeah, that'll be on our, our Instagram posts. So. Yeah, Film Slot Radio Show Instagram post will share your social media. Um, yeah, anyways, well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and thank you all for listening to our to our episode. Be sure to um, answer our uh, trivia question to try and win a couple tickets to the Rio. Um, Some and good screenings coming up at the Rio. So perhaps uh, we'll see you there. Yeah, we're there all the time. So yeah, um, thanks everyone, and we'll see you again in two weeks. Goodbye. Okay. okay. Let me just stop this recording if I know how to do that. This is Chris Horrific from the Parts Unknown show on Mondays from 1 till 3. Picture this, 1999. Fresh-faced Chris Horrific takes to the microphone at CITR for the first time. At the end of a show that I was filling in for, Third Time's the Charm, hosted by Bryce Dunn, fresh-faced Nardwar the Human Serviette comes into the booth and tells me 
that I did a great job. Then Nardwar proceeds to talk to me for 45 minutes. I was elated. I couldn't believe it. I was so elated that I forgot that my parking had expired and I got a parking ticket. That's what CITR means to me. What does it mean to you?
make a note to tune in to Code Blue on Saturday, February 6th from 3 to 5 with your hosts Jim Burnett and Paul Norton. They'll be battling it out to impress each other and hopefully you as well with their favorite classic Mardi Gras and New Orleans numbers. Since you can't exactly head down to the Big Easy to experience the real deal this year, this is your next best bet. The whole idea is to entice you to make a donation to CITR for the 2021 Fund Drive. If you're suitably impressed, head on over to citr.ca slash donate and plunk down a bit of cash to help the station keep on keeping on. And don't forget to pick Code Blue as the inspiration for your donation. Thank you. Thank you.